When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to the first off-season edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined in the 1500... uh, Studios, 1500 Compound, 1500 Palatial Estate, whatever you want to call it, uh, by two employees of that fine company, Judd Zolgad and Matthew Collar. We are here to uh, talk about the Vikings' end of the season and break down things through the offseason, as we will be doing uh, probably at least once a week uh, during the most weeks of the offseason, uh, set, setting aside the few weeks where we go on vacation. Uh, if such things are allowed uh, by our respective employers, speaking mostly about mine and not yours. Uh, but we will be breaking down the Vikings offseason through the better part of the next few months, and we will start with that today. Mike Zimmer said on Tuesday that Sam Bradford has earned the right to be the starting quarterback for the Vikings going forward. I, I think a lot of us probably figured that's where they were going, but it was certainly interesting to hear him say it, and it, it's also interesting to think about the ramifications that that has for a number of other people, specifically Teddy Bridgewater. And guys, let's start there. What did you make of what Zimmer said? Probably not a surprising thing, but what does it mean that he said it and went on the record with it? I think that it means that Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be ready to go day one of next season. That's what it means first and foremost is that, yeah, he's earned the right to be the starter and then dot, 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 because Teddy's not going to be ready. And then he later said when he was asked about Bridgewater's future, Basically cross that bridge when we get there, which sounds like there's a couple of miles left to go before we get to that bridge with Teddy Bridge water. Uh, anyway. Couldn't help yourself. Yeah. Bridge uh, sorry. Just bridge help. over sorry. troubled yeah. water yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and, w- and, with, and, and that's the question that comes up immediately is if he was healthy, what would the decision be? Would they want to go back to Bridgewater and trade Sam Bradford, or would they want to just go forward with Bradford and decide – that he's the better quarterback of the two, but it looks like they're not going to get to that question for quite some time that on opening day of next season, it will be Sam Bradford. And then we'll have to find out what happens with Bridgewater. I also think it's really interesting that every time we've asked to talk to Bridgewater, every time Zimmer has been asked about Bridgewater, nobody's got an update. Nobody wants to say anything about how he's doing, which would not make me think Boy, he's right on the right path coming back. It would make me think that there's still uh, the concern that was originally out there when he got hurt. Right. I would say uh, from what we heard on Tuesday that there is a there is at least, uh, let's say, 40% chance that Bridgewater's done, that he's not going to play. Because when you hear Mike Zimmer say, I just want him to recover. Yeah. He's the, I just want him to worry about getting and, healthy and we'll worry about the rest and later. And the Bradford, if if there was any question about Bridgewater's health and the fact that it might come around in, let's say, I don't know, October, August, September, something, I think you'd get more of a, well, Bradford's probably going to be our guy to start the season. But Zimmer went out of his way to praise Bradford, say he's our guy, and then because he likes Bridgewater so much, say, 
We hope he's healthy and can recover. Right. What I heard there was, guys, there's a fighting chance that, that Teddy Bridgewater has played his last snap, and we want him to recover and be okay as a human being right. as much as a quarterback, if not more so. Well, and it was also interesting to hear him say, however clumsily he said it, he when the Vikings had put out the statement about Bridgewater surgery, they had said he had a multi-ligament reconstruction. And I asked Zimmer yesterday, hey, you guys had implied at the time that he tore more than one ligament. What was the other one in addition to the ACL? And he pleads the, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, so I don't know the terms. And, and he said something about a, a capsule joint, uh, which is not a thing. And there, there is, what, as best I can tell, he was, was referring to something called an articular joint capsule in your knee, which is a common part of a, a kneecap injury, I believe. But sure. the complications with that, because it, it's cartilage in a particularly sensitive spot on your knee, the, what I was able to read this morning and you know take self-diagnosing on the web for what it's worth. But Look at you. I mean, it sounds like that even is something that can take a year to recover. And one thing they talk about is if you have that in an older patient, you can just do a knee replacement. But when you're a younger patient, particularly a younger active person, you're not going to go that route. So that makes the recovery cumbersome as well. So if that is indeed what we are dealing with here, I think that's what he was getting at. I mean, it probably is a term that had been floated past his desk at some point that he didn't really know. None of this suggests that we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater soon. And if you're if you want to go best case scenario and say that is a year, Mm-hmm. That's August 30th of 2017. There is no way that you are getting him back in the mix at that point and saying he's going to compete for the job because at that point you're almost done with the preseason. So that then leads to a few questions. Number one, I think, is Pat Shermer. What happens to him given the fact that his quarterback, his guy, is probably going to be the guy going forward? And number two, this is probably not quite as uh, high on everybody's list, but what do they do with a backup quarterback? I mean – Taylor Heineke will be back. We didn't really see much of him at all, and, and I asked Mike Zimmer about him a couple of weeks ago, and he kind of said, well, you don't really see him because he's leading the scout team. We can't evaluate it. Did they trust Bridgewater be, to be the two? Did they trust Heineke to be the two? Did they go out and get somebody? Lots of questions there, but um, let's let's start at the top. Pat Shermer, what, the, what do we think this means for Pat Shermer if Sam Bradford is the guy? Do you guys think that um, this is purely Zimmer evaluating Shermer or do you guys think that after all the things that, that went on behind the scenes with this team, offensive coordinator-wise and coaching-wise, that this is a little bit of Zim evaluating Shermer and Sherm saying, you know what? Because, I mean, th- this is a guy who, who can get a job. Right. So are we convinced that this is all on Zimmer to bring back Shermer, or do we think that there is part of that going on here, but we also could have part of, of Shermer saying, it's been tumultuous. I'm not sure I'm a fan of all of this. This offensive line is awful. I'll see ya. No, I don't think so. I, I would lean much more toward he's a, been an offensive guy for his entire career and a chance to be an offensive coordinator with the quarterback that he clearly likes since he's had him in a couple of other situations and they get along well and they're on the same page that he would want to stay. And if there's no other job for him, there is an opportunity next year to earn that job. This year, he just steps in as an interim and it's like, okay, well, you know, you try to do your best, but you're still dealing with whatever remnants is left of Norv Turner. Next year, you've got the chance to put in your entire offense, just you and Sam Bradford. And Hmm. if you do really well and you have a great offense, that would mean that people would start calling around about Pat Shermer for a head coaching job. So I think he's got it. If they do bring him back, that he's got a great opportunity there. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And I think the fact that he is with Sam Bradford here, which has kind of been his guy. I mean, the guy that he has spent the most time with, the guy that was a rookie when Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator in St. Louis, the guy that they traded for when Pat Shermer was in Philadelphia, the guy they traded for when Pat Shermer was in Minnesota. I think the fact that he has him here makes this job probably more attractive than whatever else is out there in terms of what offensive coordinator jobs might come up. And and Pat Shermer, I would assume, is under contract. The Vikings typically do two-year deals with their coaches and – when when they're position coaches, so they would probably have to work out a different deal if he's going to become the offensive coordinator. I'm sure there's a, a pay bump and, and possibly more years that get added to that, but 
I would expect that this job is going to be fairly attractive to him mm-hmm. because of Sam Bradford's presence. And I also think that Sam Bradford's presence will be the reason that the Vikings keep Pat Shermer. I expect that that will be what they do. I mean, the way Mike Zimmer talked about it yesterday. And just the fact that, that Sam Bradford has not had stability in his career. He's played for five different offensive coordinators in seven years. Pat Shermer has been the closest thing he's had to a constant. And I think there's going to be this sort of uh, – urge I guess for lack of a better word on the Vikings part to say well let's give him a chance to mold it how he wants to do it let's let these two work together and see where we can get and if that doesn't work we can go somewhere else at that point but I expect that that Pat Shermer will be the guy it's just a matter of when they name him that and and whatever contract details would have to get worked out in in accordance with that but uh, I think that's probably where they're going to go the interesting thing for me about Pat Shermer and trying to evaluate him this year, if they bring him back or not, just how did he do as Zimmer goes through all the tapes and things like that, is that the excuse will always be there that the offensive line was very, very poor. And the idea to continue playing T.J. Clemmings at left tackle, if that was Pat Shermer's, that would really worry me. i got to think that was not. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to blame him for that. I don't know whose it was, but if it was on him, then I think that that was a really, really bad choice and would worry me. Um, but otherwise, it makes evaluating it, uh, his job both difficult because they were so bad, yes. but also it gives him an excuse for all the failures that they had. Same I mean, as this, Bradford, this Matthew. was right. No, totally same with Bradford. And I don't really love doing that. I don't really love just saying, well, let's see what he could do with a better offensive line, because there is no guarantee, even if you sign some people that you're going to be so incredibly better or mm-hmm. that it's going to solve the problems that you had, which was the quarterback struggling with getting to a second read that I thought there was a lack of creativity in this offense too. Well, there there was. uh, You look around the league, I think you saw a lot more around the NFL than you saw with this team. But Bradford. But Brad, yes, but Bradford is. Here's my cheap shot. Well, you know what though, it's deserved. Bill Musgrave. You know what, Bill? God bless you. You got a quarterback now, but you still drove me crazy here, (laughs) and you'll always have. Uh, But now he's running this high tech offense. Yeah, I know. Well, that's what happens. But anyway, players. The thing with Bradford though is is the day you got Bradford in the trade, which I think we all said, good job. The day you got him, you basically knew who you were going to get in that trade, which is he's not going to be Rodgers or Brady or Wilson. He's never going to move around. I mean, those guys are point guards. They can they can escape pressures. They can if the line breaks down, they can shift. They can throw. That's not not Bradford. So what we need to look at here, and what I keep asking is, if you don't like Bradford, if you're saying, okay, he's not the guy. We've seen it. We saw enough to know that he got off to a good start, but then reverted back to being the quarterback that we don't like. My question is, who do you want? Because, you know, it'd be great. If you could get a Hall of Fame quarterback, that'd be great. But I think the reality for the Vikings going into 2017 is, if they provide the protection and a run game that doesn't center around a back who has to be fed the ball, but a run game that works and that you can dump the ball off to that guy, I think Bradford becomes a very capable quarterback. And if the defense comes around like I think it will, you've got a pretty good team. So I guess my question back to people who don't like Bradford is, okay, if you're going to subtract him and say it's not going to work and Bridgewater clearly will not be playing on opening day of next year, what do you want? Because I don't think that there's this answer out there where you say, okay, that's a really good answer to the question. Yeah, I mean, they, there aren't going to be a lot of options, especially when you don't have a first-round pick and uh, you're not able to really probably make a run at any of the quarterbacks that might be there. Not that that would be a guaranteed solution either. I mean, that's not going to necessarily solve any problems, and this is not a team at this point that is looking for a long-term project. Uh, for what it's worth... I uh, looked up the numbers this morning. Pat Shermer, uh, under Pat Shermer, the Vikings averaged 18.56 points a game. That's not including anything that they got on special teams or defense and 332 yards. Norv Turner was 15.86 in 293. So he was about 2.7 points a game and 40 yards a game. The offense was about that much better with Shermer. Uh, the yards per play average was a little bit higher. Mike Zimmer talked about has talked a couple times about how all the numbers got better after Pat Shermer took over. They did. They're, they're incrementally better. They were still 23rd in the league in scoring offense after the switch, according to our ESPN stats and information people. But uh, 
they were a little bit better. So that when Mike Zimmer talks about that, that gives a little bit of context of what he's saying there. Yeah, I did run Sam Bradford's quarterback stats, the difference, because he had also mentioned that Bradford's numbers were better. Yeah. And it was better by, I think, 1.7 in quarterback rating. And, you know, across the board, there were little differences. His completion percentage was better, but there's a bit of an eye roll that goes along with that. But he's it, trying to make that case for one of two reasons, though, right? He's either trying to make that case to throw shade at Norv Turner after he left, which is certainly a possibility. Or because they're not friends now, you know, right? Uh, or he's trying to make that case to say, well, Pat Shermer, our guy, and if he is our guy, then here's the reason why we think this can work. I right. mean, I don't think anybody should be throwing a parade for 18.56 points a game, <laughs> but you know, most weeks with his defense, if you score 20, that's going to be enough, but you, I guess. But you have to come back next year and be able to run the bleeping yep. football. Yep. I mean, that's the if you, I'm sorry. But when you have an offense that can't run, you can't operate because yep. there's because play action's gone. Right. I mean, if you have this this run game was, I think, pretty much right historically bad. It wasn't just like that's ah, not great. It was awful. And so, if you don't come back in training camp next year with a with a line that can't just pass protect but can run block. You're going to be right back into asking Sam Bradford to do a bunch of things he can't do well, and that spooks the coordinator, right? And so then the coordinator says, okay, you're going to have to throw the ball quickly, and we go, we'll go, we revert right back to 2016. So if they don't get this offensive line, and, and just as importantly as pass protection, the run blocking fixed – you're going to be in huge trouble. See, I don't look at the run as the biggest issue. And, and it was. But it's important. It dead last in the NFL. But it's important to have the threat. I, I'm the not threat sure. has to exist. I'm not sure how important it is. I think the to, threat to has have, to exist. To have a good run. I think you can be middle of the pack into the 20s. What I don't think you can do is be zero threat. See, yeah, well, I, I would agree with you there. Okay, if we look at this year for the worst teams, we've got New England 24th or in the playoffs, Seattle is 25th, Detroit is 27th, and New York Giants. The New York Giants, I know, no Marshawn. The New York Giants. What's are, the average per carry on uh, this? For the league? No, no, for, for, for the teams. Like you realize all the teams you just named have top five uh, quarterbacks, yeah, right? Some, well, some of them. Yeah. It depends on how you look which at Matt Stafford. Which that. Bradford's not yeah. going to be. It, it depends on how you look at Matt Stafford or Eli Manning because you. some people might say those guys are, would be more closer I, to Brady. I'm talking Brady, Wilson, Rodgers of that pedigree. Well, yeah, those guys. Okay, I mean, New England, anytime you bring that up. They're 3.9 yards a carry. So is Seattle. The Giants are the, the closest. 3.9 is a yard more than the Vikings. Yeah, see, got. that's the thing is we're talking, we're talking awful, well, the, the Giants, historically awful. Well, the Giants were 3.5 and the Vikings were 3.2. Uh, just out of curiosity, what was the uh, average of the team that had the best record in the NFL? Which was? The Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. Oh, they're... Well, it was worse than the Buffalo Bills and Cleveland Browns. I'm just, I'm just they saying the, the temp- league's rushing leader and a quarterback that ran for. I'm just saying the template. Yards or something I like think that. the template has to be a team that at least can go in start games with the run as a semblance of a threat. I'm not saying it's got to be great because it does not. But when you, when nobody fears you, when your offensive line is so bad that you go through a part of your season. In a West Coast offense, Matthew, where when you throw screen passes, which should work, and they can't even block those up, that's my point. You've just got to come back with something that allows you to throw some blocks. And this line, this line just completely fell apart. I mean, yes, they, they were hurt, but still, Andre Smith at right tackle was awful to start with. Khalil at least can get by there, but you have to come back with an offense that gives Bradford some type of opportunity to have other components that that are threats and he didn't have those. Well, I, I and that's why I defend it, him a little I, bit. Like what you're saying, Ben, if you have Tom Brady or you have a prolific sure. passing offense, you probably don't need to worry too much about it. And I, I would agree with you that it would have been nice if the Vikings had something else that they could have done other than it just always had to be pass, 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 but they kept running. I mean, that was the thing is I know that Bradford uh, set the uh, franchise completion record, but they, they didn't completely go away from it, which maybe they should have when it was averaging somewhere in the twos per carry. It probably was costing them quite a bit. But if I'm looking at a stat that concerns me a little bit about the offense and where it's going to go next year, it's the fact that Sam Bradford was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL on third down, 5.8 yards per attempt on third down, and his sack rate was about twice what it was on first down when he dropped back to pass. They had so many drives die on third down and doable. 
I mean, it's it seems in the red zone too, it, right? In the red zone, there were certain games where it felt like there was no chance that this team was completing a pass successfully on third down. I mean, the Detroit game on Thanksgiving Day really sticks out to me, where just over and over on third down, it was short of the sticks, only a couple of yards, getting sacked, just complete drive killers. And as Mike Zimmer goes back through and looks for what the problem was this year, to me, that should be a number one. If you get a few more of these, if if you were completing third downs like some of the better passing offenses in the league, then this offense would have put up a lot more than eighteen points. I think a lot of that's on the line, though. Whether it's on the whether it's plays where Sam Bradford was actually pressured, or whether the accumulation of pressure led him to see ghosts at times, and I think there was certainly some of that. I mean, the line has to get fixed, and that's I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about flows from that, and. The unfortunate thing for the Vikings is there aren't any great solutions to that problem, whether they be in free agency or the draft. It's going to be difficult to fix that in the course of one offseason. Mm-hmm. Paying the piper for ignoring it for too long. Yep. That's the problem, yep. though. This is all coming home on one guy, too, Rick Spielman. Yeah, and do not sleep on that, Vikings fans, because there's going to be a lot of talk about, well, it was injuries and the line would have been fine if no. everybody – the line wasn't playing well when everybody was healthy – for the first few weeks the of the season. starting right tackle was bad. Yes. The starting yes. right guard was bad mm-hmm. and, and continued to start. Your center was good, I thought, when when Berger played there. Your left guard didn't get off to a great start right. for his for his pay scale, yep. and I think got better. And your left tackle position. I mean, the fact that they took T.J. Clemmings through the entire season basically was criminal. When we saw Hill play on Sunday, a kid off a practice squad from Jacksonville, when he got because Hill looked like, and he, he was not great, but he looked like he knew how to play the position. Right, T.J. Clemmings, watching him, you realize he had no idea what he was doing. That's criminal. That was unfair. And whoever made the decision to run him out there week after week after week should have their feet held to the fire in a big way and should never be making decisions on offense consistently again. Well, the narrative you're going to hear, I think, at some points of the offseason from from various corners, whether they're in the organization or outside of it, is, well, you know, a lot of it was injuries, and you kind of throw your hands up. So there's nothing they could do about it. I had a coach, and I've probably mentioned this before, but I had a coach at the Senior Bowl last year when T.J. Clemmings was playing right tackle tell me, boy, I hope we don't have to count on him next year. <laughs> uh, to the, at least to the point where they had to in 2015. And then he's, lo and behold, playing left tackle for most of the season. You counted on him more than you did in 2015 when he was the right tackle. So there was that. There was the fact that they didn't really, for all of the talk about competition, they did not bring in a viable alternative to Matt Khalil if he would happen to get hurt, given the fact that he'd had a lot of injuries. He basically came in uncontested for that job, and he was going to have the job when he's making $11.1 million, but they did not really have a a solution for if he got hurt. And like you mentioned, Judd, they have not invested in that position in the draft. They have picked two guys above the second round since 2009. One of those, of course, is Phil Lodeholt, whom they took in the second round in 2009, and the other one is Matt Khalil. So there is a lack of a foundation in some ways with this group, they were able to get away with it for a while because guys like John Sullivan, guys like Brandon Fusco had played above their draft slot in some ways, but now that's coming home to roost and they are going to have a hard time, I think, fixing that problem in a year given the thin free agent class and given the fact they don't have a first-round pick. And just to tie it back into the running game, which I'm not saying that it has no benefit. I mean, it would have helped probably a lot to have uh, something else you could rely on this year. I was watching Jarek McKinnon 2014 uh, last night or two nights ago when I was writing one of my pieces for 1500ESPN.com, which is where you could find my articles. Um, and Jarek McKinnon had a lot more holes to run through that year. And, and I wouldn't count out uh, him as still being a decent NFL running back. It's almost like, and this is goes to the TJ Clemmings point, he was not just the worst in pass protection, where it was blatantly obvious when you go back and look at the film and you look at the pro football focus ratings they put him just as bad in run blocking and there were plenty of times where they would hand the ball off to Jarek McKinnon and he's just tackled immediately because TJ Clemmings has no idea how to run block either it's not like he can use this big massive body to at least create no clue what he was doing right 
it, no, you're right. it, it was not that, oh, he just whiffed a couple of times a game and almost got his quarterback killed, but there is no but. However. Which, which, which is what makes it really amazing to me that he w- was able to keep playing. When you are the worst in the entire league at your position, dead last pro football focus, for him to keep playing and being thrown out there, I mean, that, I guess if they make that change – at least the offense has got to gain a few more points, right? Just by not having him playing. But it also makes you say, the kid. right? Well, that's, there's that too. But that also makes me say, if you're looking back in your Zimmer, like he said, he's going to do, and he's going to go through with a fine tooth comb, like in space balls, when they're combing the desert, <laughs> then like the space balls. Right? Yes. Code that, of the universe that, is that, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> Same code I have on my luggage. <laughs> uh, that's uh, one of the one of my favorite movies ever. But if you're combing through every bit of information, then you have to ask who was responsible for that decision. If it was Zimmer, yes. then you say I cannot do that again. If it was pressure from the top, then you have to say you cannot pressure me to play players just because you drafted them. And if it was Pat Shermer, then you have to say how did you miss this? Or if it was Tony Sperano, how did Sperano. how did you yeah. miss how did you miss this because this cost but, us games? But we as in our jobs, we're sitting there in the press box in week five against Houston, seeing T.J. Clemmings playing left tackle, and said, "This is a disaster." Yeah, that this one. Is, the Texans game is the yeah, one that sticks out. But I mean, he mind. literally. Uh, this isn't. He just got beat. This is is, and it, it was acknowledged by the head coach. This was times he would just fall forward. What was the thing he said? He does four or five things a game that are just crazy. But those things, <laughs> just those crazy, crazy things right. are like face yeah, plants. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the, he, the one he's against at a Whitney party Merciless, and they're like, "Dare you to do a face plant?" And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> but but there's one even in the run game against Jadavian Clowney that is just as embarrassing. But I think you can only really see it on tape from the press box. We might not have been able to see it where he just gets trucked like he's yeah. he's way yeah. bigger than Jadavian Clowney, and he just gets run into the backfield for a six-yard loss. And, and in that case, with Jarek McKinnon, that's another thing that's worth bringing up with Pat Shermer and the offense is you have Cordero Patterson, who early on in the season we praised for how they got them the ball, but that basically disappeared in the second half of the year. Team started to scheme against it, I think. Those RPOs they were running went away. away. Exactly. Yeah, the RPOs, team started running another guy at Patterson or, or running a, a blitzer at at Bradford and then filling in behind him and then it got taken away and Jarek McKinnon too and these two players are explosive dynamic type players who especially in the second half of the year but McKinnon probably the whole year were not used in creative fashion to get them the ball very often there's a a sweep run to Patterson that gets 22 yards against Detroit and then there's a bunch of screens that were taken away eventually. There's a nice pass in the last game of the season to Cordero Patterson down the field. But other than that, we saw Patterson, if you're getting him the ball, can make big plays, Mm -hmm. and we had seen it in the past with Jarek McKinnon. I expected him to line up in the slot or pistol formation or seeing him lining up as a flanker or something. He did on Sunday, by the way. He did did one time, yes. But in that case – I, 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 don't know, I don't know why more effort was not made. It just seemed like a very standard West Coast offense that would be great if you had Dallas's offensive line or if you but had... it would be. Right, it would be excellent, right? I'm not saying could, that it's not, yes, but, what, but get creative too. circumstances should force you as a coach to change there, and I don't think they did enough. So, boys, did I hear Zim say uh, yesterday on uh, multiple occasions during the press conference that he is going to do a thorough evaluation of his coaching, of of how he went about things, of this, of that. And then our guy Murphy from the Pioneer Press asked him about basically evaluating how he handled, let's see if I got this right, human beings. Yes. A very important part of, let's see if I have this right, the job. Right. And he basically said, I'm still going to be me does he not realize what we all know, which is he really needs to evaluate how he how he goes about handling young human beings who play professional sports? Because this ain't 1993. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I was actually about to ask that question as well when Brian asked it. Just I was going to ask him, how did you feel you did managing players this year? And uh, you know, he kind of said. Uh, in response to Brian's question, that he didn't think that that was a problem. He, I think he said it's not managing players. The players know that I'm going to be me, and I, you know, I think he then just kind of talked about how it had more to do with scheduling. And, <laughs> he started talking and about too how he's doing and, the schedule. That right. Wednesday lunch schedule needs to change. Yeah, I, and I, I guess I was a little bit 
surprised to hear that when he was trying to take such a hard look at the other parts of it. Um, it, that strikes me as a little bit disingenuous if you're talking about, I'm going to take this fine-tooth comb after everything, but my own way of managing players is not going to be subject to that. I mean, A, because I think when you have a season that goes the way it did, you should not hold back on any part of it. it it's uncomfortable to do that. Nobody likes to analyze themselves that critically, but if you want to be successful and, and keep the job over the long haul, you'll have to do that. And number two... You know, we heard some things towards the end of the season about you know players that would hear what he would say, you know, about Anthony Barr or the things that happened at Green Bay, and kind of scratch their heads and say, "Well, he hasn't really behaved that way before. What's he getting at here?" I mean, I I know some of that stuff irked people in the locker room, and and I think that he probably, I would assume, has a, a good enough of a feel on that to probably have heard from a few players that they weren't happy with that either. So I, I was a little surprised to hear him kind of exempt that part of it from his evaluation. And I don't understand how anything becomes exempt. Right. I mean, you go 5-0 and and you end up having it all fall apart around you to yeah. the point where your players are deciding on their own scheme at the end of the season. Yes. Uh, miscommunication, sorry. But to have that happen at the end of the year and really shine some light on how the players were viewing their head coach at the end of the year. And then just to say, no, that's not on the table. That's non-negotiable. I mean, it was good to hear him say there would be game management evaluation because that Detroit game, there's a win. You're nine yeah. and seven without that. I mean, if, or if you, Blair Walsh makes an extra or point, if Blair Walsh makes an extra point, but still, if you can't control whether Blair Walsh makes an extra point, you <laughs> if you can, don't have him on the roster, you, you know, can. That, okay. That's true. But uh, it could have been Kai Forbath. He missed some extra points too. Either way, you blew the game management at the end there. There were other game management situations where it wasn't great. His challenges have not been good throughout his career, which I always kind of roll my eyes a little. I guess, you know, that relies a lot on guys in the booth and things like that. But their percentage is not very high. There's so, coaches like Mike McCarthy that just get riled up and say, screw it, I'm challenging yeah, yeah. this, just to, as like a show of manhood. It's like... No, that's not a His good QB idea. QB then get, gets mad and starts to scream at McCarthy. That's my favorite. Right. That that game, we, we were talking about that earlier this season, just kind of flashing back to that game at the end of 2012 where Jordy Nelson's trying to be cool about it when McCarthy wasn't supposed to challenge that play and he tries to stick the challenge flag in his pants and he's looking at McCarthy just kind of shaking his head very subtly and then Rodgers is just over there yelling at him. jumping up and down, pumping his fists like, you bleeping moron. Yes. How? It's like, <laughs> like guess who runs that relationship? Kind of blowing the cover here, Aaron. Well, Ron is, I think we started calling him this yes, week. Yes, or A.A. Ron. A.A. Uh, Ron Rogers. Peel would say. Ron Rogers. Um, but having <laughs> so a good vibe with him, we call him Ron. Having everything on the table yes. uh, to evaluate is good. And there are things about his defense that he needs to look at, too, that maybe playing Anthony Harris wasn't a good idea, right, when they decided to do that instead of putting Newman back at safety. Or yeah. maybe what the heck happened to Anthony Barr. It, I, I don't – I'm sorry – I know the head coach is saying he's coasting. I don't think it's just coasting is the issue, seeing as he was a superstar the year before. There has to be something else involved other than that. Maybe there were times, but there has to be some other reason, whether it was schematically or his weaknesses being exposed. But you better find that out. there was an injury they're not telling us about. That is also true, but you better find that out. That'd be bad. But but it is mind-blowing to me to Mm -hmm. say... But the way I handle players, the way I, the things I say through the media or the whatever else, that's all just that's just all off the table. He's got bosses, though, right? I got to think that somebody will pull Mike aside and say, you know, Mike, I appreciate the fact that you're a good coach and you're stubborn and that, that all those things go together to make you successful at times. But you got to look at some of these things. And I can't figure out if he gave you if he gave the answer about how he treats people because he's never going to share in a million years with you guys. Yeah. I think the truth there, because I got to believe that if you look at that Colts game and that Packers game, that, that very much goes to not only scheme in the Colts game, but it also goes to the fact that those two games were off. I mean, those were not, those were not, we showed up and, and had bad days. Detroit was Detroit. You had a bad game, but Starting with that Colts game and through that Packers game, there was something off there. And and if you've been around coaching as long as this guy has, there's no way that he can he can look at those games and not say, what went wrong here? And I've got to find it. And when you've got your closest confidant in the defensive backfield basically trying to make up his own rules, yeah. you can't just say, well, it, 
it's a small thing. It's one thing uh, two years ago or three three years back when Captain's going out there and he doesn't understand the defense fully and freelances, yeah. which bothers you. But you say, okay, this guy can't do this, but he's doing it because he's not comfortable in what I'm asking him to do. New- Newman problem. was extremely yeah. comfortable in telling Xavier Rhodes, I've got this. As a form of insubordination, it's Mike Zimmer's job to figure out how that does not happen again because that was a red flag to where things had gone by that point. And that Colts game, it's been a long time since I've been at a Vikings game that felt that sideways. Well, and it was interesting, too. I, I think it was Jake Glazer that, that said this last weekend that Vikings ownership met with Mike Zimmer after the Lambeau Field, the Rogue One series, uh, as we have uh, finally started to refer to it around here, they wanted to know what happened. So to say, oh, it's just miscommunication, I mean, they they can say that publicly. I think a lot of people, uh, it doesn't pass a smell test necessarily for a lot of people. They can say it publicly if they want, but it is telling that ownership thought enough of it and thought it was enough of an issue to, to meet with Mike Zimmer, and he meets with ownership every Monday. I mean, he has a, a, a review with them, you know, just kind of talking through the game, just, you know, to kind of touch base every Monday. Because the Wilms are football fans. They are football fans. They like to Tell hear, us about the football game. Yes, they like to hear stories about the football game. Uh, but it is interesting, I think, that that happened. I mean, you know, that could have been one of those things that got blown out of proportion a little bit in the Glazer report. Because he does have that meeting every week, that – the report suggested that the meeting was out of the ordinary, that they called him in and he got called to the principal's office. I, I don't think that was the case, but it is significant that they asked about it and that they wanted to know what happened because that does not say situation normal. Everybody's just blowing this out of proportion. It says that something happened here. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. And it's uh, very possible that, Judd, you're right, that maybe there is pressure from upstairs, or maybe Zimmer does know what happened in the locker room, but if he says, yeah, I'm going to make changes, right. then it almost admits what actually yes. happened. Yes, then, and, then we smell blood in the water. Right, and it admits that there, were, that, that, we are. that there were problems, and it would admit that the, what we're being told behind the scenes is the right thing, and he knows about it. So he doesn't want to do that, maybe saving face in a way, or just... Uh, keeping that internal guys that's what they do in football but if he really that thinks all that internal. but if he really thinks that then it's a, that's an it's an issue it's yes. definitely an issue because a lot of the top yes, players is. and I don't know if Terrence Newman will be back I don't know if Captain Munnerlin will be back but those guys were leaders a lot of people respected them in the locker room and if they weren't taking things well and this goes for Anthony Barr too that he's very popular in the locker room if they weren't taking things well then it's going to remain there that that mm-hmm. taste in the mouth maybe they'll come back all fresh hey 2017 we're here but the first sign of something say, like that it'll yes. come right back yep yeah they and, they need to get off to a good start next year to put all this to bed or there's gonna it's gonna come right back up and the thing where zimmer doesn't uh, seem to know where to draw the line is this if you have a guy who is a backup cornerback or not very good and he can't stay on on the field because he's hurt it's one thing to say to the public Ah, you know what? This guy, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get that. But now when we're talking about Barr or Floyd, we're talking about good players. We're talking, And when you start to rag on, on good players, the problem is the rest of the league looks at that and says, why would I, I want to go play for a coach where I'm possibly going to be susceptible to, if I get hurt, being publicly called out? So, so in, in the days of going after Robert Blanton, for instance, my reaction is okay. That's sort of funny, and who cares? His Josh teammates, Robinson, yeah, his teammates literally right. don't care. But now you're going after Sharif Floyd, and then Barr, who was, by the way, if he was playing hurt, was playing. Yeah, that's that's the red flag. He was not on the injury report. That's the red flag. Now where guys start to go, well, hold, hold on a second. So Anthony Barr was trying to play, and I've heard through back channels that his back is bad or his knee is bad, yeah. and he's being mocked. I'm not playing for that team yeah. or that coach. That's where. Zimmer needs to pick and choose his battles very, very selectively and, and very, very smart. And this whole application of, I'm just me, 
I got to be me. So if you're my starting middle, you know, linebacker, I'm going to still rip you publicly. That's a bad idea in 2017. Now, that's a really bad strategy. Well, and you have a lot of guys, especially younger players, that we all love to rag on our favorite uh uh, demographical cohort, the millennials, of which I guess I'm technically part. I suppose you technically are too. I think you're just under the bar. Uh, yeah, boys. unfortunately. I'm well, yeah, out of your I, range. I uh, I used to be like, oh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But then you meet some younger people, and it's like, yeah, I don't know that I want to be associated with this. But uh, I also don't want to necessarily be associated with uh, the cohort that does most of the complaining about them, which is my, uh, my parents' generation as well. We won't get into a lot of that. And speaking of millennials, I just got a text from uh, Andrew Kramer. Um, former host of this podcast and uh, dear departed friend of it. Um, he's not really dead. He's not. Well, he's not we, we shoved him down he an left, elevator shaft. He left. We wrote him off by no, throwing him down an elevator shaft. We killed him on the shaft. show. We didn't kill him in well, real life. I just said I got a text from him. That should imply he's not texting well, you said me from dear, beyond. Then you said dear departed. It became very it eerie was, and creepy. It was a figure of speech. Anyway, what, what's Kramer saying? Uh, he's just asking about... Um, Marcus Sherrills and his he's talking about his contract that Sherrills Mark Sherrills as Leslie called him um, that he lost $100,000 um, because Tyree Kill had a punt return and Sherrills then didn't lead the league in punt return average which is true oh that's sad yeah 100000 bucks. had an incentive in his contract Brian Robinson also had $200,000 if the stats people would have given him the sack by himself instead of splitting it with Linval Joseph. Oh. He would have gotten two hundred grand if he'd had eight sacks, and he wound up with seven and a half. Well, you so. know this from covering baseball, that those guys, a hit versus an error, yep. they will yep. complain, complain, score. complain. Yes, they will. Jared Allen used to do this, too. When when he would get into the locker room, I've had people tell oh. me, the first thing he would do oh. is go to the stats guy and say, did they give me a half on that one? I mean, he was obsessive about making sure he got credit for everything that he was supposed to get. And the the Vikings would send plays into the league to see if, well, maybe Jared should have gotten a half or, or whatever. I mean, you know, when, when Jared Allen would always say, ah, I don't care that much about my stats, it was, uh, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> was, it was a good laugh line. Ever. At any rate, the, the, the act of managing younger people in a generation that has not really been raised on uh, tough, unyielding, unsparing feedback uh, i mean you have to learn how to to deal with that as well i mean I, I think that there is part of this job that you have to be a little softer with a group of people that necessarily hasn't been raised in that type of coaching or that type of leadership or instruction or whatever it happens to be so that is going to be something to watch too I, it could be like we say something where he knows that he needs to do it and he's just not going to admit it publicly that he needs to at least review that but uh, it will be very interesting to see Next year, how that goes, I remember asking him two years ago, his first year, or three years ago now in 2014, there was a game they lost to the Lions, and he said something about, well, fines are going to the max after this week, and he was mad about players being late for things. It turned out it was like two guys on the practice squad that had been late for a lift, and he flipped out about that and then made it sound like the whole team was being lazy. I I had a sit-down with him shortly after that, and I remember asking him, you know, did that episode sort of in the fallout from it when all of it's on pro football talk and whatnot, did that teach you about how far your words carry as a head coach? And he says, well, no, I'm I'm just going to be me. And it was kind of like what we heard the other day. And, and in some ways that's to be commended, I guess, that you're not changing who you are and you're going to be true to who you are no matter what the job is. But you also, I think, as a head coach, have to be able to walk that tightrope a little bit. Interesting to you guys that Mike Zimmer has handled a certain millennial 23rd overall pick um, really with kid gloves in the media, with Laquan Treadwell, uh, that Laquan Treadwell of the last 25 years has had the second worst rookie season for a receiver of anyone. A.J. Jenkins, he's thanking him for not being the worst over the last 25 years for a first-round pick with three targets, one reception and three targets yes. and a handful of plays. And Mike Zimmer has continued to say, that Laquan Treadwell, that he has hope for him, that he's a good player, that he gets in and out of routes pretty well. And so it, it, the question is, is he trying to – who's he speaking to when he says that? Is he speaking to the people who are critical of the pick? Is he speaking to Laquan himself? Because I remember when we asked Laquan Treadwell if the coaching staff had told him why he wasn't on the field, mm-hmm. and he said they hadn't. 
and they hadn't been clear. And some of the behind the scenes conversation has been, well, you know, it wasn't really working out all the time with him. Then again, Laquan had said the coaching staff was ready to give him more playing time. But then he got hurt again. I love that. That's very convenient, by the way. I was just going to get a ton of snaps, but, but then I got hurt. He, he might not be wrong, though, because he was in the Dallas game a bit. He was on Thanksgiving Day more plays than at all this year. He got so, hurt in like, the first series against I, the Jaguars, too. Yeah. So. so he may be telling the truth there. Mm-hmm. Do you guys I, – I find it very uh, intriguing that, that uh, Zimmer in the press conference brought up the fact that uh, immediately when asked about Treadwell, he said, had bad feet. So he, yeah. he immediately came with that. Uh, if I was Matthew to hazard a guess to your question, I would say that Mike Zimmer is carrying the water for a boss of his right now who very much wants the Laquan Treadwell as a complete bust. I mean, the numbers are staggeringly bad. Yes. I would number. say number. Well, the <laughs> one reception and the three targets. But anyway. Oh, you're giving him the targets. The three targets. But I would say that he is carrying the water for a very nervous GM who might right now that he has swung and missed big time Rick Spielman well and it was interesting that you didn't I mean Mike Zimmer's talking about how hard he worked and everything but you didn't hear a lot of great things about how he was responding to coaching and um, you know probably the the rapport he had with other receivers or the rapport he had with, with other people in the organization there was kind of there were some things you would hear that didn't leave you to think that that was going terribly well from that perspective either. I, I was, I'm writing something for tomorrow about him and, and was looking it up today. He had as many catches this year as, um, of course, Sam Bradford, as many as Matt Barkley, as many as Carson Wentz. And what a catch it was um, by Sam Bradford. Yes, yes. Who knew, who knew Bradford had great hands? He, huh? he had the same number of targets and yards from scrimmage as Zach Line. And uh, since 2009, again, according to our stats and info people, 47 first-round picks have caught a pass in a, as a rookie in a regular season game. Uh, went and looked this up this morning. The list of players who, has, who caught as many passes, one, as Treadwell, includes Cam Newton, Marcus Mariota, Carson Wentz, three offensive linemen, yeah. Michael Orr, Kyle Long, and Eric Flowers, and Patrick Peterson. And and don't forget that, that he was the head of a draft class that gave you essentially nothing. That he started yeah. a draft class. And and I see Vikings fans saying, well, the depth was too great. It was far too great. Case in point for you, folks. Willie Bleeping Beavers. Fourth round offensive lineman who was the highest draft pick to be released by his team, was re-signed in an offensive line where I think it's safe to say at th- at least three positions they were hemorrhaging. Willie Beavers couldn't get on the field. Yeah. So before you give me this song and dance about how Rick's got this great draft class, and I, I just don't get that the depth was too great, Laquan Treadwell let off a draft class that gave you absolutely nothing. Second round pick didn't do great either. No, no, no not at all. Surprisingly and bad because I, I, I liked him at first. But yeah, Zimmer liked him a lot too. And, the and pro- that could be a year down the road. Well, the progress that he made this year, I think, uh, to some people that I asked was disappointing. I think Alexander that they, or Treadwell? Yeah, Alexander. Uh, well, Treadwell didn't make any progress. But with, <laughs> with Alexander, uh, Mike Zimmer said he needs to learn the rules of the game. He needs to learn pass interference. Most certainly true. Uh, him getting a little dinged up there at the end didn't make much of a difference or maybe maybe robbed him of a little more playing time at the end. I, I don't know. But not getting on the field was not only a, a product of just, oh, we've got these other great cornerbacks, which they most certainly did. But there were some opportunities, too, to see if he could play that slot role with Captain Munderland being a free agent. And I don't think that he showed a whole lot, and I don't think that his progress was what they hoped it to be. He came in as a guy with very very high character, worked really hard to get here. I interviewed him for a story about it with his parents coming from Haiti and, and all that and how he grew up. Yeah, it's quite a backstory. It, it really is, yeah. And he's an amazing guy for overcoming all that. But it seemed to me from someone I was talking to that there's some hard-headedness there that's gone along with that. Yeah. And that they need him to get better at listening to the people around him, especially when you have a superstar in Xavier Rhodes, Captain Munerlin, a seventh-round pick who became a very good player, and Terrence Newman, who's 38 years old and 
is still playing at a very high level. And Jerry Gray, who's been around a very long time, too, and was an excellent cornerback yeah. in his time. And a and the, former defensive coordinator, too. A lot of great resources to work with. And if there's hard-headedness there, Mike they, Zimmer. it could be an issue. Oh, and Mike Zimmer, not even to mention quit, him. Yeah. Quit grabbing guys. Yeah. yeah. That's what drives me up the wall. You can't. This is the National Football League. You can't grab guys as they run by you. It is sort of amazing how many guys, how many corners come into the league thinking, Oh yeah, I can get away with that. Or they just maybe they get into that habit, knowing that they can get away with it in college, and they don't get called as closely with it in college. But the number of guys that resort to that, and it doesn't, they don't come into the league thinking, okay, I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And these guys are, are really, really good too. Yeah. So they're they're going to put moves on on me that I didn't see on yeah. Saturdays. Yeah. Uh, hey, are we? Uh, is there reason to be uh, concerned at all about Trey Wayne's not turning into a full time starter, or is that, or the fact that they they had him? rotate a lot not a concern and he's actually on the right track I mean Mike Zimmer mentioned Waynes when talking about Treadwell yesterday as a guy that while he didn't play a lot in year one and he really took a step forward this year I mean again how much of how much of it is optics with first round picks is always a question you have to ask because there are a lot of people in the organization that have a vested interest in having everybody think that all the first round picks are successful so you got to factor that into it a little bit i I guess I feel like he had a better year. I mean, he certainly was better than what was last year. What do you Definitely. make of him this year? It's, yeah. it's a stupendously difficult position, I think, coming from yes. college. Like, like you mentioned with Mackenzie Alexander. And, and that's the thing is that don't count him out for taking a bigger step next year either. You're be, right. Because we've seen many corners come into the league and just be like, what are you even doing here? And then all of a sudden, year two, year three, they become competent or even good. Uh, with Wayans, there is one issue – it's kind of like the offensive line in Bradford conversation. Well, what if you had an offensive line? Well, then he still would have trouble with that second read, I think. Yeah. And the same thing goes for Trey Wayans. Like, well, as he gets more comfortable and as he learns more, he will improve and has and showed some of that this year. Can he play the football? Can he get yeah. his head back and make a play on the ball? Because it his athleticism and how he stays with the receivers, the Jordy Nelson catch in Green Bay is a great example. He is right there. Yeah, and yet receivers are just going up over him and getting it all the time. Yeah, that took Rhodes a while too. I mean, this in year four for Rhodes is really the first time we saw any ball skills. What did uh, what did Captain Munlin was a oh, bar said? The, you know, the guy couldn't catch a cold before this year, and, and now he's picking things off left and right. Some of that is is route recognition, and I think he was he was better at that, being able to know when to take chances and being able to jump routes and that sort of thing. I think we saw Trey Wayne's make a couple of interceptions this year. The one from Aaron Rodgers that was. Uh, celebrated on many highlight montages at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. Rodgers threw that ball in a spot where it was a fairly easy play to make. But uh, I guess he had a couple of those, and and you would expect that those skills maybe come along in the future. The the question with Mackenzie Alexander, to get back to that, do they trust him enough to not bring Captain Munnellen back? I mean, that's going to be an interesting question. Because the last time they did this, as Judd will remember, with Antoine Winfield, Antoine Winfield obviously is a better corner than Captain Munnerlin. Uh-huh. They let Antoine Winfield walk, and it was a dumpster fire when they put Josh Robinson in the floor. I'm going to take year. a guess right now. I like Captain a lot. He's very personable. He likes to talk. He's glib, and I think he's opinionated. I think he's gone. I tend to think they, that as well. NFL teams, if you are an opinionated veteran – and you're not a superstar. You're a solid player. You say we gave him the kiss of death with that second stringer award. You yes, I think you tend to end up bouncing around yeah. at the end because you don't. You're not going to sit there and worship at the altar of Zim, and I think that that becomes a problem. So, I think he should be back. My inclination says if they're smart, I try and bring him back on a short term deal. Yeah, but my football, I've seen, I've seen this film before, tells me he's not back. Well, and here's the other thing with him. I had somebody tell me that the Vikings initially had offered him a five-year deal when they tried to when they signed him in really? 2014, and his camp said, no, let's go three so that we could get another shot at free agency when he's 29. Given that, <laughs> and given the fact that he wasn't terribly crazy about the fact that they made him just a nickel, and, you know, he's, he's short. But if there is a team that comes along and says, hey, we want to make you a base corner, and then we'll be inside on third downs – I think that's going to be attractive to him, attractive to him too. And the, given the fact that the money is going to keep going up, and there are a lot of teams that need corners, 
I would not be shocked if he gets an offer to go somewhere else, and then they have to see if Mackenzie Alexander can play that spot. And if you draft two guys in the last two years with first and a second round yeah. pick, you expect them to play. Yep. If, if you're the general yep. manager, you might just say, hey, look, I drafted these guys, so I still believe in them. They're both young. Make it work because I'm not going to pay a decent a very good player, I think, Captain. Yeah. is He is a good talker, but I, I also – sometimes you end up as the uh, backup long snappers, the best talker in the room. But actually, Munderland's a pretty solid player. Punter. Um, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of people who got run out of town because they were too outspoken. in the Vikings case. That is absolutely yeah. correct. But w- I think that the draft picks would be the biggest factor. And, and maybe they bring Newman back too. I, I don't know. I mean, if yeah. this little thing at the end made it look like eh, probably not, but it's also possible that Newman could move into a more of a kind of a roving sort yeah. of role, yeah. ro- rotating in and out to different positions. You, you don't think that bridge got burned in Green Bay? I don't think so. No. At that age? It, I, yeah, I'm not sure. It, I mean, I'm just it, curious. The, the relationship being as longstanding as it is. You think it's more like a – spat between yeah, spouses? Yeah, it, it might be. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see that one because I could see that going either way. Terrence Newman played well enough that right. you could say, okay, he's still got something left. But on the, at the same time, he's going to be 39 in September, and that's uh, an awfully long time to be playing that position. Move him to safety, then. Speaking of people who uh, can be outspoken, who are getting a little long in the tooth by traditional standards, and whose contract is going to be a big talking point this offseason. Talking about me? Uh, in addition to you. Oh, okay. I yeah. was going to say, they all, are you, they all your apply, contract coming up? They all apply to me in some way, shape, okay. or form. I okay. don't really want to go into it. All right. Well, you're going to keep that all internal? <laughs> yeah, we always keep that. Um, the running back, we have, uh, I think we're 45 minutes or so into this podcast. 55. 55. Wow, that's a lot of fun. So we should probably not spend too much time on this in, in – Lord knows we'll spend plenty of time talking about Adrian Peterson this offseason. But once again yesterday, when Mike Zimmer was asked about Adrian Peterson, the comments were not as effusive, shall we say, as they've been in the past. That's been the theme all season. I mean, he said, I, he's still, yes, he's I want him back. He's under contract. He's under contract. Technically, he's line. not. He is under contract if you decide to keep him right. under contract with that option. But technically... If you do nothing, he is not under contract. He is a UFA unless you decide to exercise that option. Once again, kind of interesting to hear Mike Zimmer not extend the olive branch to Adrian Peterson. And I would bet, given how closely Peterson and his camp were watching the rhetoric from Minnesota in 2014 and how much that affected them, I would bet they're watching it this time around too. I'm going to go ahead and say that he was more complimentary of Laquan Treadwell than he was Adrian Peterson at the end of the year. There was one line about he's done a lot as a Minnesota Viking yep. and then moved on to he's under contract not talking about it. And, yeah. man, I mean, that tells you, I think, everything you need to know about where Zimmer would stand, especially with the way the end of the season was ha- uh, handled by Peterson. It just seems like everything that would stick in the craw of Mike Zimmer was done. Re- yeah. Revealing when he's coming back, then deciding not to play the last two weeks, not to battle through the injuries and things like that. It's just like classic. If you had a list of things that drive Zimmer nuts, he was just checking them off at yeah. that point. And I had somebody tell me that they thought he has a good chance to be back here next year. I would tend to but, like, quibble with that a little. What, tri- what type of contract? And it w- That's going to be the question. Would he come back here, first of all, for a lot less cash, but second of all, with the understanding that his role yeah. would be completely different? Yeah. And, and if I'm Shermer, I have no interest in him coming back because I do not want anyone walking into my office saying, well, it's Adrian and you have to do – if you're going to get – if you are going to get the offensive line fixed to where it is serviceable. Not great, right. okay, but it, but it's fine. But And then come and tell me that I can run my offense and then say, but the parameter is we also are bringing Adrian back. Well, Adrian, Adrian Peterson in the West Coast offense run by Childress and Bevel, which is similar to this. 
was a different player because he was just so damn good. Yeah, you Shermer would... was with Childress in Philadelphia, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Yeah. And and in fact, and when Andy Reed and, and in fact, guys. when Shermer had the year, I believe, as head coach of the Browns, Childress was his OC with the Browns. Yes. But Shermer called the plays. Correct. But, but I my point. But my point is, in two thousand and seven or eight or nine, you say to yourself, okay, Adrian Peterson might not be the ideal back for a West Coast, but he's so good, I don't care. Right. And so we're going to do this and that, and it's going to be fantastic. And that worked. In 2017, if you're Shermer and you're saddled with a 32-year-old, for lack of a better term, ball hog, who can, <laughs> who can catch the ball but not well and he can't block, I have no interest in trying to reestablish the parameters of what I'm asked, asked to do with a quarterback who I like and can work with and say, and then we're going to do this for 28. And then we're going to – it's just – it's it, – I, ha- I would tell them – Adrian Peterson coming back is counterproductive to what I want to do offensively if I'm Pat Shermer. Oh, I agree. I certainly agree with that, that it's going to hold back the offense, I think. for Especially with a West Coast offense, there is almost nothing better you can have than a running back out of the backfield who can do it all. Yeah. Roger Craig will tell you this, Brian right? Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook will tell you this. I mean, Dorsey Levens, all the ones the Packers about, had, Amon Green. How, how about Jamal Charles? I mean, there have been so many yeah. of these guys who are versatile, multifaceted running backs who can come in and catch the ball out of the backfield and do anything uh, that you ask them to do. And also, just worth pointing out, I investigated into what the blocking stats were for last year for Adrian Peterson. Put it this way, worse than Jarek McKinnon was this year. And Jarek McKinnon is okay, but not known for his pass blocking. Yeah, he's and not. Peterson was significantly worse he can't do it. than Jarek McKinnon. Right, he just cannot he just can't. pass he just block can't. at all. That ship sailed years and years ago. So that's really not good either. So he, I mean, you're just so one-dimensional in a West Coast offense. I just don't see how it works. I, the only And the other thing, too, is the money. So I started playing yeah. around with uh, the contract websites, and I looked at Lamar Miller and what he got from the Houston Texans. $5.5 million cap hit, 24-year-old running back coming off a great year in Miami, 5.5. Yeah. If, yeah. You're, if you're re-signing Adrian Peterson, wouldn't you go, uh, you ain't even getting that. Matt Forte got a $3 million cap hit from the Jets. That's more in the range where he belongs. Should be. I mean, market-based reasons, yes, it should be. Now, the question is going to be, number one, is the football operations, the coaching staff – driving the bus here or is this coming from other people in the organization this is my fear that still are tied to peterson or believe that with everything we've gone through to keep him here we want to not have him go to new england for a year and be great and have us look bad and have it end like it did with randy moss or something there's that and what would the contract look like if the vikings come in and say here's four million dollars for a year or you know, here's eight for two and we're going to guarantee money enough in the first year that you're here and then you have to earn the rest of it. I would think that Peterson and his camp are going to say, you know what, no, we're going to go out and explore they're things. They're still mad least. enough too, right? I I think they're still... I mean, they're not angry now, but I think that they... I can't see them saying, we'll cut you a discount because, yeah. because in their minds... I think it's been scabbed over, but, yeah, but the Peter- you could pick that scab pretty easily. I think the important thing here is Peterson and his camp don't see what the rest of us see. They don't see an aging former superstar who who can run the ball and that's it. The comparisons to Tom Brady and Antonio Brown yes, I they were still very interesting. And but that's just not him. That's his whole camp. Yeah. And I think their perception is no, he's he's still a star. And so I gotta think that the Vikings can make this very simple for themselves by taking him a one year contract for about twelve dollars and saying, You want it? It's yours and he's gonna say, No, I don't buy. Yeah, I mean that that certainly is a viable way to go. I could also see some situation where they offer him a one year deal that is more than he's going to get somewhere else. Say I mean, say they gave him like five or six million dollars on a one year thing or, or at least, you know, put some money in it up front and did two. I mean I mean that in a market based Why would sense, you do that? Well, that's the problem. There's not a good logical market based reason to do that. You would be doing it if you, for some reason, are devoted to this idea of him ending his career here or not wanting to see him, want, not wanting to risk the possibility that he goes somewhere else and is great and you have egg on your face for a year, or God forbid that he pulls a reverse Favre and goes to Green Bay, which I don't think would happen. But 
Yeah, they need a running back. He'd I mean, probably fumble in a key game against probably the Vikings. Would. And they'd be absolutely. They'd <laughs> or just he'd come strip back him for the Super Bowl, and they. But the Wilfs, and the Wilfs, that would be it. the Wilfs are my biggest fear in this entire yeah. conversation because look, they are huge football fans. I'm dead serious. Old school, right? Yep. When in 2010, when the owners met to talk about rule changes, the Vikings had just gotten had just lost in overtime of the NFC title game on a field goal. And so the proposed rule change, which of course passed, was you could no longer end a game in overtime in the playoffs at that yeah. time on, on a field goal. So I remember going to Ziggy at that point and being like, oh, okay, this rule's going to, you know, it's good, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, I'm not going to vote for it. They're old school football fans. And when it comes to Peterson, these guys are Giants fans. And to this day, they worship Lawrence Taylor because yeah. he was the ultimate Giant. And because Peterson came here essentially Joe Morris a, a year and a half. Anderson. Exactly. And because Ziggy came here and took over a, about a year and a half before Peterson got here, I almost fear that the Wilfs are saying wire to wire with this great running back, Hall of Fame running back. And that's my fear is that they're going to allow that. And, and they're pretty good, I think, about being hands off ordinarily. I would agree. But this is the only case where I say to myself, I don't trust them entirely because I think when they retire 28, they'd love nothing more than to see in the record book, min, 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 you know, and yeah. no, no Houston at the end or something. And so that's the one dynamic. And, and it's, it's total guess on my part, but it's the one dynamic that I don't completely trust about Peterson being gone because I think the football people would let him go. And that's the one thing with superstar players that is always a little bit different is that sometimes the rules are a little bit different for those guys. Sometimes ownership gets involved and logic isn't necessarily the law of the land all the time. So that one is going to be very, very interesting to watch. And I'm sure we will be talking about that plenty this offseason we'll have plenty to dissect this offseason as the Vikings try to figure out what to do next after losing eight of their last 11 and what they look like going forward we will generally be here uh, just about every week during the offseason chatting Vikings probably talking about what's going on in the NFL playoffs and and what's going on around the league I'm sure we'll we'll uh, take things in a few different directions throughout the course of the offseason but uh, wanted to get through a lot of the the main things that came out of the Vikings post-mortem from Open Locker Room Monday and Mike Zimmer's press conference on Tuesday. So we will be back next week with another edition of the Purple Podcast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and we'll talk to you soon.